All right, welcome back. Yes, yes, y'all, and you don't stop. Big John, come rocking the short shot, baby. Yes, it's Cork Stats NFL Live, baby. Yes, presented by the Mayo Media Net. Really just got to stop. Hat tip to my dude, Patrick Mayo. I have met a ton of people in this industry. A lot of them are not what they appear. Pat is every bit you think he is and more. The man, the gentleman, the businessman, Pat, we absolutely love you. And the audience out there, thank you all for pumping up the Cork Stats. MLB show to the way you have doing the thing that we do, me and you, the Cork Stats crew. Come on. Could you lead off with anybody better? You can't hide up. Put him this handsome baby. I am coming out the chair as always for my man who I would have to lead off with. The very best compliment, this is all kidding aside, the best compliment I have gotten in my short career in this industry, this thing of ours, is being compared to the nuance and context that my guest brings. It is quite literally the goat of podcast hosting. He is the goat of nuance and context. If you want to understand quite literally anything about football, you go to my man, Ian Harditz from PFF. You got to listen to the show, him and Dwayne. Right now, it is the gold standard in NFL information because of the overlap that he and I share. We just go into our analysis with an open mind, looking to be convinced the other way, knowing we don't predict the future. We put ourselves in very strong probabilistic scenarios in order to succeed. Ian, what's up, kid? <laughs> Goodness, John. There's you know not too many podcasts I go on where I struggle to mass the energy being thrown at me, but here we are. Love it. Love um, you know, the way you clearly love the game. And happy to see you uh, in the NFL streets. And uh, shout out to the GOAT he mentioned before, uh, Patty Mayo and everything. Man, everything that guy can do. Like I, you know, I I just struggle to even talk about like non-football things because I just know how different how much time you have to put in these other subjects to like have an educated opinion to see Pat jump from one thing to another and just again be you know top tier at everything he does. Uh truly impressive. So yeah, man, appreciate uh appreciate you having me on. Happy to kick off this uh new show and let's have a hell of one. Yeah, we're gonna this is gonna be kind of funny. You and I wear different hats, you right? I'm a analyst, but I'm a content creator, but I'm also a consumer. And really, that's where you step in. And all of that kind of powdering and stuff really was not exaggerated. I work extremely hard at baseball to bring that kind of nuance and context that I was mentioning. And I know that I bring it, but it's very difficult. You mentioned the hard work. And I'm not going to pretend to be able to be on the same level as people who have been preparing all year. Now, we have still quite a bit of time. So you don't have to be razor, razor sharp at football just yet, but you should be kind of inching away. And that's what I want to be doing here with the show. Just once a week, I'm going to bring in my favorite people, my favorite men and women in the space, just to, we're going to talk about everything. Ian, you kind of saw the outline and gosh, it, it is everything. You, again, we spoke briefly beforehand, the transition between DFS betting, fantasy, and really what it takes to go with that. So just real quick before we start, could you could you speak to just the flexibility really quick and just the malleability? And like I mentioned, how you're not really trying to be right, you know? 
Look, man. Well, I, I shouldn't have said you're trying to be right, but we don't, we're not <laughs> saying we're right. Right. We're not we're not saying this is correct. That's what I meant. Sorry. One, one <laughs> thing we're mentioning that before the show, one of the problems with MLB is like it's just another slate's there. You could be trying to finish uh, that night's game, and then you got 1 p.m. baseball coming up again. And, and the NFL, man, when you're doing it like we are in DFS and best ball and dynasty and redraft, there's just always something else to get your attention to. And, you know, at the same time, while I don't like to beat myself up after losses, I'm also not exactly going out there, you know, patting myself on the back and taking a victory lap every single time things go right and you know it's i i'm not saying you can't ever do a victory lap it's good vibes i'm fine with that and some people you know freaking deserve it and you worked hard you know go ahead and you, uh, go ahead and be happy it's you know i'm fine with uh, nfl players celebrating after touchdowns because i think that uh you know if someone didn't like it they should stop them from getting to the end zone so if you want a victory lap go could go right ahead but i just think man there's always something we can just be looking ahead to and you know obviously refining our process and trying to make sure that we were doing the right things in the first place is important but again i i just think it's uh on to the next one let's uh let's not uh, let's not be too high or too low about anything and i think ultimately that helps you get through the grind that is you know an entire year-round nfl calendar but what's really cool about that is one of my favorite saying that stuck is when you work this hard, it feels a lot less like luck. And I think that goes both ways. It feels, it does. It feels a lot less like luck when you win and you feel a lot more confident, even in the losing. You know, it's very funny. This is something I, as a handicapper, I talk more about my losses than my wins. I believe there are way more lessons there. And again, the handling of the emotional capital greater than sign financial capital. For me, it's easier to earn dollars than it is repair a damaged psyche that we need to continue to work to put out that quality stuff. So you mentioned it, they call it a business, they call it a segue. You mentioned the next thing. What's up next? I mean, it just feels like you guys are are everywhere at all times. We're going to dive into a bit of that more, but what's on the horizon for PFF? First of all, just selected Irv Smith and SFB round 11. So I had to, <laughs> had, had, had to get that out of the way. He but burned yes, me yeah. last year, but, you know, what can you do? Yeah, he didn't even play last year. And now I know, that's what I mean. <laughs> on that offense. Uh, okay, so PFF, I am so excited yeah. for about, right now, actually, we have a PFF 40 sale going on. So if you have any ideas, inclinations of getting a PFF subscription, now's the time to do it. 40% off will get you literally all the locked article content, rankings, everything that we offer will get you that with code PFF 40. And man, we're coming out with this new fantasy tool, I would say in the next two to three weeks that I really think is going to be one of the coolest things out there. You know, I've always respected uh, people like player profiler um who i think yeah. give a good snapshot of yeah. the page and uh pff just uh, on advanced metrics and just I, i've always been fascinated with the idea of giving everything that a fantasy manager player whatever the hell you want to call us like needs at their fingertips in one spot um i think fantasy labs back in the day uh under previous people did a great job with their models of showing everything you need in one grid. And while it's not going to be a grid, um, I'm just, again, so excited about what we have coming up in terms of just being the true one-stop shop for everything you want to know about a player. And I think with myself, Dwayne McFarland, Nathan Yonke, Kevin Cole, providing the analysis behind it, man, I put us right up there uh, with anyone. So incredibly excited about that. And, you know, it's just actually convincing uh, PFF to embrace fantasy football because that's uh, kind of the funny thing going on that I learned when I started working here, like a lot of our, uh, you know, founding fathers here at PFF are European guys who, you know, love football, but they just 
haven't really played fantasy and had uh, no interest really for it over the years. So I think once they saw the uh, you know extra dollars it can help bring in every August and September, every year they uh, quickly change their mind. But just very happy to uh, just, just very happy to be somewhere where we just have all these wild tools, and now we're being able to use some of that just information we have that just to be fair, a lot of other companies can't match, and now specifically integrating that into fantasy. Uh, really can't wait to show off what we have coming. I can only, man, I really can't wait. Uh, this is again, we're, we spoke a bit about it before. We're going to get into it more. Some of this is going to play like a PFF commercial, and that's fine because I really fully back it. The highest compliment I can give anybody is that I use your work. I'm, I am a, I'm, yeah, I'm a nice guy, but I am a hyper competitive maniac. If you are not giving me the very best information in the most compact and digestible format, you're going to find yourself in the back of the line. That's just what it is. I'm moving fast. Guess what? I'm trying to move faster than I talk. That's pretty damn fast. PFF, uh, you know what? I, I, maybe we could even do some of it now. Because we'll, I, we will, we will. And we'll have that go into the first thing, which was how you consume games. But since we're on the topic of PFF, I really want to get into just everything PFF because, all right, you guys give, if you're, people aren't familiar, it really is, it's the must sub. Aside from that, it's very simple in its presentation. Numbers, 1 to 100, very easy to understand. Colors, very easy, 1 to 100, understand. The problem when you're using other people's work, Ian, of course, is, there's a level of faith and, and trust I have to have. I, I like what's a 98 to an 82 or, you know, I don't know. So I have a bit of history watching games and I know what I'm looking for. So I mentioned this in the outline. I, it's not that I don't like you. I don't trust you at first. I have to verify it before I trust you. And once you earn the trust, you can have it because it's very hard to get. And I know I went back and tested by hand. A lot of these grades independently, meaning I did not have your grade. I went on my own because I need, I, I just can't sleep at night knowing that I have, I sometimes I have a lot of money on these games, knowing that one of the critical points, one of the determinant factors is a subjective element that I can't really validate. And again, so many people do. There's wisdom to the crowd. They were probably right, but I went to double check it and hot. Damn, your stuff is phenomenal. Oh, my goodness, phenomenal. I have never spoken to a single one of you, and it's really in lockstep with my own. Again, granted, it's not professional training, but I have learned with a football coach how to watch a game. Again, not scouting every player. I'm not trying to be something I'm not, but what to look for and keep those critical notes. Talk to me. How do you guys consume these games? Well, you know, first of all, shout out to all the graders doing all that. And man, it's really not as some of the flack that PFF grades uh, tend to get on the old Twitter sphere uh, sometimes. I just, it really is just trying to fill. You know, and there's a commercial about this where Collinsworth was showing the play where I, I forget if it was Aaron Rodgers. There was just a quarterback throwing a pick that bounced off his wide receiver's chest. Like it's just trying to add some context to the few spaces we still have between stats. Like it's weird when you hear these like anti-analytic people and then like they they still fall back on stats. They just end up drawing a line in the sand where when they stop understanding what a stat is telling them, they call that a no good, you know, analytic that they want nothing uh, to do with. So I just 
think, uh, you know, again, just being open to stuff that helps contextualize and quantify what we're seeing on the field. Like, yeah, I think we all agree QB rating and yards per attempt for guys like Jimmy Garoppolo maybe don't necessarily imply that he's one of the best quarterbacks out there. Just like I'm not going to take one single PFF grade for a guy and just assume that tells his um, entire body of work. So it always but what about, me off. What about the actual, yeah. the actual consumption? Is it a oh, team yeah, yeah. of people doing every game? Does one person get a game? So am I relying on a single person, a group of people? I know people it's a, it's have asked me that question. Yeah, it's a group of people. And they, yeah, again, that's good. Uh, good. That's not, good. I'm not specifically involved in the, uh, you know, inputting and outputting of all that information, but I just, you know, I, I see the, uh, I, I can like see the Google sheet where they're like finishing off games and stuff and getting everything ready to go. And man, like they were doing that for USFL. So uh, they're, they're not, they're really is not. Is it computer tracked? I've had that question also. The, some of it is we're getting more and more. Once we start getting some of the better tracking information, I think we have like mile per hour stuff uh, coming in soon. Okay. So, because like, dude, because dude, once we have all that, like, why we don't we don't need a combine anymore? Like, who cares? We can just get the actual football movements that matter. Uh, and obviously, you know, some guys. If 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 you've ever played the game, like you, everyone knows that you know, there's the guys. You know, when we're running and freaking March and April that are finishing first. And those guys that are finishing first when the pads are on uh, before practice in August. So uh, just yeah. very excited with some of the possibilities that are down the line. Now, how about you personally? Cause we're probably not going to get to it. Are you working? Do you get to watch games? Are you like, do you have to watch and analyze a game on Sunday? Are you recreationally watching? Like how do you, how does Ian, like what's he doing? Are you like us? Are you covered in barbecue sauce and stuff? Uh, so I do the, about two hour podcast with Dwayne at the end of every night. So I'll, I'll usually maybe have a drink or two before that. And then another one or two during it, but I I can't do too much uh, further past that. The good news is I've gotten my Saturdays uh, pretty much clear. So I'll I'll be right there with the barbecue sauce all over my face on Saturday, (laughs) Sunday. Um, basically, man, I've been on some pregame shows and stuff before, which has made it a little bit difficult to be as ingrained in my personal DFS game as I'd like to be. Um, but this year, really, I'm going to have a better chance than ever. So see ya in those streets more than ever in terms of when the games start. So, yeah. Before I before NFL Game Pass decided to nuke their own product, like awesome job there, uh, guys. Like I would basically once the one o'clock games finished up, and I, I could usually watch two or three just in my living room, keeping an eye on everything and not missing much. Maybe have Red Zone on my laptop or something. But it was trying to watch like three games there, and then once the condensed games came out, I'm still watching a live game. But now I'm just ripping through condensed games, and I could watch every game from Sunday by about the starting point of the fourth quarter of Sunday night football. Uh, and I would have everything watched, you know, to a pretty good level. And for me, when I'm watching those games, I'm just, I'm trying to watch for the things that we're just not readily going to see in the box score. You know, I always tweet the sheesh alerts out there. So it's like, yes, you yes. know, the, uh, it's like the nullified touchdowns, overthrows to wide open receivers, uh, a big time drop. And we can yep. track some of this. I know there's like unrealized air yards and thing, but especially before some of those stats are finalized, it's just important on Sunday. So those are some of the big things there. And obviously um, any injury stuff uh, is important as well. So just trying to do that. Unfortunately, when again, game pass had to, they just stopped doing condensed games until the next day. Um, yeah. So I, there's nothing I could really do there. Luckily though, going and working in the PFF offices. Now we actually have like an eight TV setup, like all, yes. all big screens. They play every single game across from each other. So with that, I could rely, <laughs> I could reliably, cause they're all, it's like one square. So I could reliably watch like four of those games basically at once. And you know, another four at four o'clock. So, you know, 
I would say if we're talking about 12 games a night, I probably had a good chance to watch like nine of them. And I, I would love to try to go back to all 12, but again, freaking Game Pass. Just anyone out there from Game Pass listening to this, man, just go back to 2019. I've never seen this happen with another product, how uh, much more difficult they make it. But yeah, whatever I miss then, I go back and watch Monday morning. So I understand like people with full-time jobs and stuff and you have a family and a life. It's probably kind of hard to try to watch every single NFL game by Monday morning. But if you are in the industry, I just think it's going to do you a lot of favors. You're not going to be that guy chastising a player for only having like 21 yards when you actually missed his yeah. wide open, you know, uh, target that went sailing out of bounds. You're not going to be, you know, ma- missing the nullified touchdowns and uh, things of that matter. So uh, I do think it will help separate you. And again, going back to the original kind of starting point of this conversation, like that's going to help you pick the stats that make the most sense because we see when people get ridiculed, it's when they pull some BS stat out that isn't matching what we're seeing on the film in the first place so oh the very last thing on consumption because this again i i fall into because it's so entertaining and then i realize it's probably not the best for me again like yourself you're trying to make good use of that time how do you feel about red zone again i love the product i think it's phenomenal i love nothing more than to sit there with my eyeballs glued open for seven hours but sometimes i feel like I don't really leave with what I want to. And I have found, this is anecdotal, so everyone's different. I have found, I have quite literally watched seven hours of Red Zone only to realize I had to go back and watch every single game because I really didn't get a feel for almost anything. And then you notice when you're a Jets fan, sometimes the game's not even on Red Zone. They don't even show you anything. And you can't assume because the game wasn't on Red Zone that nothing important happened from an analytical standpoint. So I have found as much as I enjoy it, I need to be doing what you're doing. I'd rather see full games in in combination and then try and work in the condensed stuff the second I can, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Red Zone's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah, right, right. Friends are doing it. Like, I, I completely see why people just watch that and nothing else. So it's, it's good. I like having it on basically a side TV just because you, you really don't miss any of the big action uh, going on. So just from a pure like fantasy uh, standpoint, just being able to you know get every touchdown of every game. uh, And shout out to Scott Hanson. I don't know how that dude like is just able to do that. You know, seven straight hours and like not and like not have like everyone freaking hate him. I mean, come on, man. Like you know how it is. Like. You're you're gonna. Yeah. It's that's why even guys like uh, Colin Coward and some other people like they say some dumb shit. But it's like when you're on the TV for that long, like every day, day after day, of course you're gonna like mess up here and there. And you know, again yeah. for Scott Hansen, such a high approval uh, rating. I think uh, going through that. So long story short, love Red Zone in terms of yeah. actually trying to track the games, though. Nah, it's not that great. Yeah, it comes across like fast food almost, right? It tastes really good, but the, the it's not really what you're looking for if you're looking to get something great out of it, right? So I think that's probably my favorite analogy. All right, let's get into some of more the, the more nuts and bolts. We began speaking about some of the subjective stuff. I just want to expand a touch more on it. You mentioned them briefly, but I really think they deserve a bit more of a highlight. And I want to speak, I would like you to speak to your subjective stats in general, your favorite ones. I want to highlight my favorite ones that I have found are really, I mean, just, it's it's the chef kiss that matters, right? And I'm referring specifically to big time throws and turnover worthy plays, BTT, TWP, respectively. Again, big time throws. How do you describe it? I don't know. It just makes sense. When you, when you see it, you kind of know. Yep. And a turnover worthy play is probably to me the, the most important 
because I worry a lot of times about the, I don't know, the subsequent impact, like afterwards, like, all right, you go out, you, Mahomes was a victim of this a lot of times and people wondered why he would regress so hard. But when you're going to play such a wild style, that's kind of unregulated, you open yourself up to variables, swinging arms and stuff. You're going to, if you're going to be on a lean, throwing a ball sidearm, you're going to open yourself up to other variables. Balls getting popped up, coming from weird angles. I mean, this is all things that we know about and that you want to know. But if that happens in the beginning of a drive all the time. And this guy would should be turning the ball over and over again. This isn't a Mahomes thing, just anybody in general. Carson Wentz subjected to this all the time. He watch this guy do things that are just, uh, just unbelievable. And I was a big backer of the Colts early on. We made a ton of money betting the Colts. They were underdogs every week. I love the Colts last year, watching them from an analytical standpoint. But he would do things that are just maddening. To your point, and then I want you to take the floor, is you guys finally kind of at least quantified that for us. Because if you look at the Wentz stat sheet and it says, again, 265 and two and one, you know, Carson Wentz-esque, but there were four turnover-worthy plays. That's very worrisome. And those don't show up anywhere else. So speak to me about those. If you like those, you don't like those, and what your favorite subjective stuff is, because it's really the best. Yeah, I mean, turnover-worthy play rate, I think, is awesome because everything uh, you just said. And it also helps remove when, you know, they have a freaking good pass that hits their receiver and ends up getting intercepted like that uh, Gerald Everett game last year. That was just so, so brutal. Uh, he had one of those uh, from poor Russ in that one. But, yeah, uh, turnover-worthy play rate I think is great. And it's just it, when – you know, you fumble, but you recover the fumble. That's still a turnover-worthy play. Like, and I think it does help contextualize guys like Carson Wentz, Drew Locke, um, and those sorts that you know don't always make the smartest decisions out there. Big time throw rate, I think, is a little more descriptive than necessarily um, predictive or even. I think it's a piece of the puzzle like anything else, but you know, we see really good quarterbacks that don't even necessarily need to have that high of a big time throw rate. I mean, you, you could argue that you shouldn't really be attempting that many big time throws because a lot of times these are these tight window passes and it's like, yeah, it's great. You did it. But you know, if that ball's a couple feet to his left, now it's probably uh, going down the books. That's a turnover worthy play instead. So uh big time throw rate, I would say a little more descriptive again, instead of something that you want to necessarily just completely judge a quarterback with, but Again, I think these stats do a great job of really showing what we're watching out there. Last year, Kyler Murray was actually one of the – I think he was – he had the widest difference in the league in terms of just being an elite big-time throw rate and also having a really low turnover-worthy play rate. Now, I've checked the opposite, like looking at who has basically the highest – I call it like an entertainment um, rating, basically, because I was trying to put something um, to help show what I liked about Drew Locke. So um, – Last year, Justin Fields was actually number one in highest big-time throw rate and then also having like a brutal turnover-worthy play rate. Before him, it was Drew Locke. Before him, it was the 30-30 Jameis Winston season, of course. And I think before that, it was Ryan Fitzpatrick. So we actually still see guys like Mahomes and Josh Allen kind of rank a little bit higher in the turnover-worthy plays than you'd expect. But honestly, when you're that good, like you probably should be taking some more of these chances. And that's what helps us show like Justin Herbert, someone that has an average target depth down there with like – Jared Goff and some of these, you know, dink and dunk quarterbacks. And you're like, okay, that this is actually an example where Justin Herbert, you should probably be taking more risk because of how damn good you can be out there. So yeah, again, just never once I feel like in that discussion was I saying like either of those stats is the be all end all for any of these guys. But once again, what stat is, let's just try to yeah. you know, help paint the clearest picture possible. Are there any others? Are there any other of those kind of 
stats you guys have created that you're really proud of or there may be some I forgot because again I admit I'm really just kind of scratching the surface I I really we're going to get into this will be next but I do think about PFF is similar to in baseball it's stat cast baseball savant right when you think about expected stats and other stuff yeah. it's almost like the human brain you're like the most advanced person knows how to use like three percent of it you know and there's just all this unrealized information going on so are there are there any other subjective stats that you guys have that maybe you know you feel maybe need to be put to the fore that aren't yet yeah we have a uh, missed tackles force for a lot of stuff which oh yeah it's, it, it is it's not really subjective, but it is one of those stats, though, where I think uh, you see it with certain running backs, like the Tony Pollard hive out there. And, you know, Tony Pollard's awesome. Yeah. But there is something to be said about guys like him and Javante Williams, who, you know, they really do make a habit of bouncing the ball outside. And their type of running style, I think, just lends itself more clear to highlights. And I think there's something to be said about coaches probably when they draw up these plays in their mind and stuff, they would probably prefer if the ball's supposed to go in the B gap. You know, when Zeke's picking up four or five yards in the B gap, Pollard's bouncing it outside. One play is getting 15, one play he's getting stuffed. I, I'm not that surprised that we see these coaches who know so much more about football than us. Like, okay, I really think if, and again, Pollard's really good. Javante's obviously really good, but I'm more so picking up, sticking up for like Zeke and Melvin Gordon here because sometimes um, I don't think the missed tackles force metrics are quite as indicative of total running back performance as we make them out to be. The other one that I think we're starting to do some really good stuff with as a community is uh, separation statistics and just doing a better job of tracking separation, which we do on an every route basis, not just when the ball is thrown, their way because there's been this idea that contested catch artists like can't separate terry mclaurin led the nfl and contested catches last year so is he not a good route runner like of course not he's a fantastic route runner there was this play against the falcons i was using where in, in heineke's defense on this one he was under pressure so it's hard for him to get the ball out but terry mclaurin literally puts this cornerback into dirt but by the time the ball got to him the guy had gotten up run over and made a contested situation now terry still caught the touchdown because he's a baller but that was the <laughs> whole thing um that was the whole thing coming out for Drake London, just hearing how these contested catch numbers are showing off his lack of separation. When a lot of times the receiver can create separation, it's the bad pass that actually turns it into a contested catch situation. So again, just trying to, as much as we can, um, continue to just fill in the pieces of the game and become smarter. Uh, Eric Eager, our head of uh, research and development, and his you know one smart intern after another that has just come in to work with us is so great. They've done some uh, really good stuff this summer looking at how coverages do when even like one when one person doesn't do their responsibility and it was showing the defenses that most often have uh, a perfectly well-versed coverage group and they've done that same kind of thing with the offensive line so yeah here and there because i hear nfl players like oh you guys don't know what the play call is how can you know the responsibility so i'm not saying it's a hundred percent perfect all the time but man like instead of just shitting on this one instance of PFF, like show me something else that does a better job uh, than us at doing it. So I guess that's my thing. Again, like I, I'm not saying everyone in our company can't be a little bit, uh, you know, I think they could be a little more chill when discussing this stuff, uh, especially on Twitter sometimes. But I, I just think that, you know, Ultimately, we're trying to make us all smarter about football. Right. We all love football. We're just trying to talk about it. And we're trying to give more of a voice to these positions and players that previously are just being judged on like Pro Bowls or tackles or these other stats that are way more flawed in the first place. So, again, uh, 
a lot of cool stuff on the way. And I believe, uh, I, I believe we're helping, uh, helping do more good for the football community and harm. I hope, uh, everyone continues. And if you haven't realized it yet, I hope you do. <laughs> Dude, you just put on a clinic. My people, my baseball people are just nodding furiously to all of that. Cause that was all of the nuance and all of the context that I promised everybody on my show the last couple of days after I knew that I had you just a couple of those things. Yes. We want runners that go north and south. Everybody, with the way defenses are changing to adapt to high-speed offenses, they are more hybrid linemen, linebackers now. These players are extremely fast to the sidelines. They're extremely fast. Every team seems to have one guy that's, you know, 40 pounds lighter than you might expect of a lineman, and he just gets out there, and, yeah, he may – be victim to that missed tackle forced, but then he threw off that run to where it's not very productive. And it kind of makes all the points that you said, where you end up seeing check marks in the stat boxes that could be a bit misleading. Last thing, what you were mentioning about contested catch rate, which gosh, I really love, and it's going to be a perfect segue. You should do this for a living, Ian. Um, <laughs> is, is my first thought was, that's a really good idea. And the second thought was not, this is a bad idea, is this sounds like it'd be more dependent on the quarterback than initially suggest, not suggested that I initially might've thought, right? If you're, uh, I mean, take a look at you. You're an absolute Adonis and physical specimen for the non-video people out there. Ian would have, let's say, 5, 10, 25 yards on me. But if you throw a pop-up and he's got to come back to me, he might have to make a contested throw when he had me completely, completely burned. So like, Right there is one perfect example of why that stat is okay. And again, gosh, man, Ian, if I could get you into baseball, let me know. <laughs> because that is often I talk about the tapestry. You're talking about the very same thing, just we're doing using different wording. But people, right, I often talk about the tapestry. It's a part of the quilt, right? Without it, you still may be warm, but you can't have too many holes in it or you're going to be freezing, right? But you also can't wrap yourself in a single fiber. You can't do that. You can't take, no matter how much time you spend on that one square decorating it, you cannot wrap your body in it. It can never be enough. No one stat should ever tip that scale, right? Those plates on the scale and have it, have it tip over. Here is the segue into really what I really wanted to get into, being very selfish as an analyst. And this is my most fun part about covering football is it's so very different for me. People that follow my work know I'm very analytically driven. It's almost cold and annoying at points. I try and do my best to use the stats to paint a picture of a profile, but it's still a lot of numbers because I feel like baseball offers you the frequency of events to use spreadsheets. We also can't watch it all be physically impossible. Football to me, not like that. Too many variables for me. Play calling, punching and counterpunching, all the different moving pieces, plus the subjective element of officiating. For me, football is just not a, a spreadsheet sport. I, I've done very well in football, attacking it almost the opposite of the way that I do baseball. I love last year. Some stuff we'll get into. I love last year's trash. I love all the boring old guys. Like I'm not chasing. I don't expect leaps in quarterback play. I don't wish cast production on people. That's not what I do in football. You know what I like? I like young running backs. I like good quarterbacks. I like fast-paced teams. I'm pretty much like, there's some ogre ogre caveman analysis. Like That's as good as I go with it. So here was the nuts and bolts of it. Okay. 
again, props to PFF because they are at the fore of the stat revolution. This was my question to you. I've been saying the NFL is undergoing a next-gen stat cast revolution that Major League Baseball underwent years ago. The problem with the inception of these new statistics, they often bring on a subsequent misuse, overuse, however you want to put it. You mentioned misframing before that happens all the time. Are you afraid, you, Ian, that it could happen or is happening in football? And if so, do you have any any example of like a, something that maybe people chase? I'll give you a baseball one, earned run average, right? The, is the most obvious statistic is the most meaningless. It is not a part of my model that has 2,500 hours of testing on it. It's not part of it. So, Ian, speak to us about the revolution, man, you know, because that's what it is, and you're part of it. You are the tip of the spear. Uh, I know you're not into taking credit. I'll give it to you. <laughs> What's going on, man? What do we have to look out for? Pitfalls, rakes to step on and the like, you know? Uh, it's it's the idea that – and I, there is a plenty of evidence showing young running backs are a good priority, particularly in uh, dynasty land. I just think – we are picking and choosing sometimes when we're saying that these guys are washed or they suck. And ultimately it comes down to opportunity. That's why when it's week eight and, you know, shout out to Dearness Johnson, he had a good year, but this was a former AAF guy with a four, eight 40. Who's like been never had a big game. And yeah, the Browns kept him on the field for like 90% of the snaps. And he ripped off two RB one weeks and two times he was leaned on. Like it's only during these months that we're talking about a guy's breaking tackle ability and his vision and all this. And that's all important things. If you're a football coach, you better be concerned about that. If you're a football player, you better be concerned about that. But in fantasy, man, it just comes down to that opportunity. And I think sometimes we just tend to, Guys like Javante Williams and Tony Pollard, like guys that are so good in real life and we know it, like we're not playing real life football, we're playing fantasy football. And when a lot of times, you know, these running backs just get an entire point per reception, it's just going to be tough for anyone to make up for that that doesn't have that same sort of dual um, facet uh, just workload going their way. So that's why we see guys like before Josh Allen became a great real life quarterback, he was always a great fantasy quarterback just because he runs. So that's, I think, something going on this year with uh, Justin Fields. Uh, for example, like, yeah, Bears offense is terrible. They're also terrible last year, and he had four top 12 finishes in his final four starts because he runs the ball. Like, the only looking at quarterbacks that rushed 100, it was 125 times in a season over the last 10 years. Like, 2020, the Patriots, Cam Newton, who was like QB 17 fantasy points per game, only guy outside the top 12. That's it. I think there were 13 examples and Cam was the only one. And that's points per game. I'm not being the dickhead that, you know, just uses the, oh, he played 17 games. Look how he had more fantasy points than the guy who played 13 games. So even on a per game level, the Russian quarterbacks are just out of this world. So again, uh, the main point I was getting at first is just assuming these guys suck. Cause I hear that about Saquon Barkley and they'll say, look, he averaged 3.7 yards per carry. And it's like, okay, what about James Conner or Alvin Kamara averaging 3.7 yards per carry? It's just only holding it against certain guys uh, yards per carry in and of itself is one of the most useless uh fancy stats out there like if you literally made jonathan taylor if you took his he was at 5.5 yards per carry last year like if you took that down to 2.5 so you take jonathan taylor from like the best running back in the league to the worst running back in the league and you keep everything else the same like he would have still been the rb5 overall that's why we didn't care about the offensive line in pittsburgh with Najee harris because that's sweet sweet volume um last thing just 
really be careful about being um, an injury predictor extraordinaire because every doctor I've talked to in the industry can't really do it. So I'm not so sure that we should be all that confident in it. And as much as everyone wants to go like, Oh, I told, I told you Christian McCaffrey was going to get hurt last year. Like, yeah, you, you said that was going to happen to Joe Mixon as well. So I'm not saying that uh, there's a big difference between here's the thing. There's a big difference between guys who are already hurt and coming back from an injury versus just a healthy running back that you're like, Oh, he's going to break down at some point. What if he doesn't like, do we really think like Jonathan Taylor, who is just running into the teeth of the defense every single game, is he necessarily worlds more injury prone than like the, like less injury prone, I should say than Christian McCaffrey. I really don't think so. And uh, again, just being able to accept that risk when it's just being mispriced um, is, uh, is, is uh, one of those things to take advantage of. Final thing that I've noticed uh, it's more so, to your point, people are just so in the weeds of a, a lot of this stuff now. And especially I think in uh, the off season when mock drafts are going big and it's prospect evaluation. And sometimes people, I think overestimate our own ability to break down these players when ultimately you can be right on a player, like a backup that should be playing, but it doesn't matter, man. It matters what the coaches do uh, with that guy. So I see a player like Jahan Dotson who went 16th overall to Washington. Looks like he's set up as the number two target there behind only Terry McLaurin. Like just, just from that alone, if we only just knew it's like 16th overall pick, he's going to be looking at triple digit targets. Like he'd be going way higher than he is right now. I'm convinced he's going outside the top 60 wide receivers because people had him usually ranked outside the first round or they had him outside the top five receivers. Like when players go higher in the draft, this should be a good thing. This should be a good thing for Vilas Jones, for Tyquan Thornton, for Alec Pierce. This should be a good thing, but because it goes against whatever mock draft you read in April, you think it's a bad pick and you almost penalize the player for it. So um, again, it's really focusing. I uh, just, you know, don't be overconfident in our ability to predict this. And this goes back to, you know, not getting too high or getting too low with stuff. Like, hey, Belis Jones, if he goes out there, I know he's old, but if he starts and he's freaking running by everyone in the preseason, like, you're damn right I'm going to be interested in the guy. So yeah. don't be out on a player before we've seen him play a professional snap. You know, that was uh, Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, even Justin Herbert, man. Like, when these guys got drafted, like, the entire world laughed at them. And all those guys, even Daniel Jones as a rookie, uh, gave some good fantasy value. So don't just write guys off because they're going to get injured or because they suck and try to, uh, you know, keep that same energy looking at the whole, uh, you know, picture across as many players as possible. So very, uh, you know, very long answer. I'm, I'm not exactly sure if I answered your question. But, yeah, just a little two cents there. All the Ian, bro. All the Ian. I think I speak for everybody in the Mayo media familiar right now. All the Ian. <laughs> now to that point, and because again, man, I'm I'm listening and I'm thinking, and I'm. It's funny baseball again. Not to keep bringing it up, but it really does offer so many opportunities of using stats and right. We, it, I think, not like it puts it in front, but just from an experience standpoint, there's so many events and so many opportunities over and over and over again. We're constantly getting a chance to test stuff. One thing I've noticed where baseball analysts get into trouble, the one thing I've noticed that I, I, I think I'm seeing, again, I try, I'm being very reticent about planting flags in football. Right now I'm in consumption phase, right? I'm sponging, I'm listening, I'm gathering data. My favorite Lincoln quote is, you know, you give me five hours to chop down a tree, I got to spend the first four hours sharpening my axe. You know what I'm saying? And But that's how I am. That's really how I am. I'm going to sit there as people are like, what is he doing? And I'm like, watch, you'll see. And because I want to make sure that my positions 
are very well researched. I mentioned before, we have people like yourself going around the clock. So I'm not going to pretend there's too much of that, of the bravado and who's going to be more hot takey-ish and more correct than the other person. Me, I'm more of a rising tide lifts all ships, guys. You know, I look to you because I know you're well-researched. If I don't agree, I'm going to look on my own and I'm going to see knowing that, well, I also know you're meant to be a best example of Twitter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the idea being you got to be open and malleable to the mistake that I was mentioning was using multiple stats that kind of try and say the same thing. I was going to, in baseball, it's power statistics, right? So it's all these, it's barrels and blasts and hard hit. And you're like, dude, they're all the same thing. It hits the ball hard. Like you can't, you can't give me five different descriptions of why someone, how someone hits the ball hard and expect that to be more indicative of something more persuasive. Let's say I've been noticing with running backs, I'm getting a lot of this. Now you didn't mention the missed tackles forced, but you also prefaced it properly. I'm hearing about its secondary explosive rate and all this burst and, and man, I don't know what to make of that because of the variables that I mentioned before one defender a half a step out of place changes that. And I'm just, I worry about that. I've tried to simplify it again, ugga, ugga sometimes for me, but it works. Does a running back have home run speed or not? Like, again, baseball, gosh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get smoked eventually for this. <laughs> but, but, right, you think of a guy like Chris Johnson, when he got daylight, he was gone. You think of a guy like Derek Henry, he gets daylight, he's gone. Frankly, there were times, Ian, when I just want the eye test. I don't care about his second – I don't care about any – it literally could not mean less to me. I want the player with space that scores a touchdown. It sounds – it's weird because generally with baseball, I'm like, but remember, remember to make sure that we're calculating the angles of the standard deviation of his launch angle and all these weird things. In football, it's more like, listen, it's, it's, a, it's an instinctive game, more physical tools, physical prowess, where – Gosh, people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, is the guy a baller or not? Is he tough? Does he have fortitude? Does he show the willingness to learn, adapt to his craft, and try and get better? Because I'm into repetitions, right? So one of the reasons I did excellent in football last year, best ball and all that stuff, was I was like, wow, we have college guys? We have college quarterbacks that are going to be getting their wide receivers from college? That seems like a good thing. Yeah. They're going really high in drafts, right? And it was like, no, they're rookies. I was like, but is, wait, is he really a rookie if – if Burrow has thrown Chase 3,500 passes in his life, I mean, yeah. they're not, he's not a rookie. He knows where he's going. It's about, you know what I'm saying? This is where I'm like, I'm like, am I the weird guy? Well, no, don't answer that. But this <laughs> is where my type of analysis I feel is different because maybe it's just oversimplified. But I played football at a very young level, but I know when you can just have that quick glance and know he's going to break, there's something to that that's not in the stat sheet. So, I guess I kind of did the same thing where I went round and around. But, oh, yeah, yeah, about this double stats, the double counting of the stats. So do you think there is something to that? Or maybe I need to, like, stay in my lane and let the football guys kind of do their thing? Because that's what I'm worried about. We're trying to over-describe. He's really good. Yeah. Again, yeah. And it's a lot of times we don't – like, man – you got to be really confident a guy is that much better to make up for, you know, potential 10 touch difference. That's like, uh, for example, when we talk about mobile quarterbacks coming in and helping the run game, that's always a big talking point from, uh, you know, real football media, you know, when a team makes a court, when Jalen hurts comes in for Carson once like, Oh, this is going to help the run game because it could be more diverse and there's going to be read options. And that's going to help, you know, put the defensive end and uh, disarray and it's going to widen up the gaps. And I've done research showing like um, LaShawn McCoy, 
with uh, Tyrod Taylor and Michael Vick versus the more stationary quarterbacks. And yeah, the yards per carry goes up. You see that across the league when we've gotten these examples. And I think that's easy enough to wrap your mind around. But again, who cares if you're averaging an extra 0.3, 0.4 yards per carry if you're losing freaking goal line rush attempts to the quarterback and if they're scrambling instead of, you know, throwing targets to you on, in the check down game. So a lot of times it just comes back to what that opportunity um, is trying to tell you. And in regards to the home run speed, like a lot of times I do – it's is the hole there for you. Like it's, I mean, the, the amount of examples, like remember, um, who was it? Below Powell, like five years ago or whatever. Like he runs for a 70 yard touchdown because he trips and like everyone thought the play was dead and he stands yeah, yeah, up yeah. and he, he runs for a score. Like, I don't know. I've heard Dave Montgomery. Does, and I don't really think Dave Montgomery necessarily has this like one hitter quitter speed, but I don't know. He scored an 80 yard touchdown against the Texans uh, in 2020. Like, what more do you want? Like at, at this point. Yeah. So no, I, there are guys like Chris Johnson, Adrian Peterson, my God, once you'd see that like gallop in the open field, you knew he was gone. So there are, you know, certain levels of just my God, like Jonathan Taylor, probably uh, just that level of freaking good man. But even some of these other guys, like, Larry Johnson, LaDainian Thomason, Priest Holmes, like these guys are getting 350 plus touches. Yeah. Now you got to be good enough to earn that. But we, there's a reason why we always see these backup running backs. And when they're given that role, they put up big numbers. It's just so hard to bust on that sort of big volume, particularly if you're going to be in a good offense. So yeah, just in general, double counting, um, particularly some of those again, is the guy, is the guy dog or not? Is he got the dog in him or not, man? And, uh, yeah, leave the rest behind. There's nothing wrong with, there is nothing wrong with that. Sometimes I think that's exactly where people get in trouble feeling like, Oh, this is not sufficient. I need to throw things that don't matter. No, we don't want that. Right. We don't want sometimes less is more. I've actually, I wonder if you're going to get a smile on this, it's tongue in cheek, but it is kind of true. I've described the Ian as frog DNA from Jurassic park. There's only so far the numbers are going to take us. We're never going to predict the future. And then it's up to who has a better understanding of the frog DNA of which points to connect, where to take the leap of faith. And, you know, and it's subjective. Sometimes this thing of ours is as much art as it is science. So just that was kind of all of the stat stuff at once. The, the only question I didn't get to is how awesome and lucky are you to have Dwayne? Because I find myself, I'm a bit of a solo act where, you know, I'm the one man band generally. And gosh, sometimes I wish that, I, you know, I struggle for that. Like I, I've struggled trying to find player partners in fantasy. I've struggled even with podcast partnering. I eat the mic. I, I get it. Again, again, I got it. All right. All right. All right. But, you know, all that being said, there is something to four eyes better than two. You guys are now tweeting together. That was pretty awesome. I don't know how that happened. That was I was like, this is just phenomenal. No, but all, all kidding aside, how much do you think that strengthens your game? My question is this. Do you feel, because I feel this about you guys, that your one plus one equals three? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, the co-tweets thing, I, you know, I, it was Friday night. So I was, uh, having more than a few drinks with the lovely fiance and I just, I figured out what it was and I was like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. So I must've probably sent like 10 to 15 co-tweet requests to people last night and Dwayne accepted it. Uh, John Daigle shout out said drew lock QB one as well. And then, uh, you know, didn't quite get Denny Carter to agree with me that kickers are bullshit, but that's okay. <laughs> so, um, yes, so it's, it was uh, fun doing the coach tweets, but yeah, man, I, I was doing the solo act uh, like you when I first got to PFF, and just it's so hard, man. Like I, I know. 
people on radio on radio it's doable because you usually have a break every 12 minutes or so but yeah. man with a podcast like it's I, I talk fast like you do, and it's just hard not to sometimes when you're the only guy in there, and then you gotta try to control your breath, and then you know people are hearing you talking to their freaking ears. So anytime it's like the amount of people complaining to me over the years, oh you swallow too loud or this and that, it's like I'm sorry, man, I'm trying to <laughs> do this. It's you know I'm sitting here alone in a room talking to a freaking little camera thing, so gets in your own head sometimes. So no, I, I I absolutely love having Dwayne on there. He's the only guy I've ever worked with who. I feel like can consistently uh, match my output and just willingness to continue to talk about fantasy. I mean, you know, every it's almost like a joke at this point where before every podcast, we're like, oh, okay, you know, we should be able to get this done like 45 minutes there, whatever. And, you know, we're still talking 90 minutes in and like it's need to finally cut things off. So uh, true love of the game and just having someone as sharp as sharp as him yeah. to keep me in line and bounce ideas off. And we are on the same page, I think, more times than not, which like, good, we're freaking yeah. talking to each other like five hours hours a week basically i'd hope that at some point we're uh, having kind of a similar uh, thought in a lot of things but you know there are times where we disagree and we're just we, we respect each other's processes enough to to be okay with that so uh yeah i can't say enough good things and also just you know having uh kevin cole doing always his cool stuff at pff.com nathan yankee resident fantasy pros ranking expert uh it's again i just really love this uh really love this group and no one else i'd rather be working with yeah i wanted Dwayne to be the very last part of the statistical discussion one because he is just the goat and also uh man what, what was it i mean i had it right here that um oh shoot i, well, I lost oh i lost my train th oh yes that to the to the use of stats it's not more stats this is what i wanted to get on Dwayne's, where i believe he separated himself from the pack is the split situational yeah statistics are really impactful now i would love to get him on because my again it's not so much pushback i, I get in trouble with this stuff all the time with peach bowl orders of magnitude smarter than myself but like for me the like the one pushback i have with and again it's not him or you it's when we describe situations as neutral or not neutral i feel like the way the game has changed and the speed with with which it changed 10 points is almost not neutral anymore. It almost has to be beyond 14 for me. Yeah. That's just something I have felt that I feel like at 10 points, there is no change in – I mean, I guess it depends each what team. Yes, the Eagles are not going to throw a single pass. Buffalo is going to keep throwing passes. So, I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure where that line of demarcation is. I, it may be statistically back, and I may be completely wrong from a correlative standpoint. But I really wanted to highlight one that I didn't want it to sound negative. He is doing yeoman's work. And part of this, and I've done this myself, part of trying to innovate and pioneer is willing to make mistakes. In fact, I'll have anybody know, this is the God's honest truth. I had a few, they are legitimate experts in the field. I had Russell Carlton, he's a baseball brilliant, I mean, just intelligentsia, explain to me that when people started to deploy the idea of stabilization, statistical stabilization, he said they were misusing it for like the first eight years. So imagine <laughs> if you were one of those people bucking that and you were getting browbeaten being about how wrong you are by an entire industry of geniuses, mind you, for an entire decade, right? Think about that, people. Don't mind. That's another one that comes from my show totally. Buck the trend, man. I make, I make all my money going against the public. I make, trust me, if you see a ship full of people going this way, you're going to see the big man like this. <laughs> I don't ever, I don't ever follow the trend. So hats off to Dwayne. He is really the goat. And I wanted to mention those split um, stats. All right. Now let's do just a little bit of football for 2022. 
Um, okay, let me. I need to uh, use that big brain of yours. Okay, <laughs> right. So again, I'm working on MLB around the clock. I have, you know, you just kind of retain things. I know as I transition the blind spots I have. So I'd like you to put a light on my blind spots that I know a lot of people have. This is where you come in. To me, again, we've talked about things that matter, right? I don't just, to me, statistics from last year, almost they're at, at the bottom of the priority list. To me, the most important things are the things that might change the tendencies that I'm looking for, right? I mentioned pace and QB play and things like that. Generally, that's manifested in things that are not sexy for fantasy or for news and notes, by the way. Like, you know, offensive lineman move, no one bats an eye, sometimes coordinators move. Nothing could be more impactful for a fantasy team. I think I think a coordinator is more important than a wide receiver move, right? But the wide receiver is trending on Twitter. The offensive coordinator are people you might not even hear them mention. So talk to us about that. It could be anything. I kind of put the whatever stupid stuff I could think of, you know, offensive line, coordinators, defensive moves. What what changed as far as landscapes that we need to know for next year that someone like myself that hasn't been following, I'm not through all 30 teams yet. You know, you do those excellent podcasts, but each one is a dedication, you know, and I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get to, I gotta get through it, man. So it's a labor of love, but could you could you give us a summation, the big changes to look for? Yeah, just especially just in terms of, you know, uh, coordinators and things of that nature. So with the New York Giants, Brian Dable, ex-Buffalo offensive coordinator, now running things in New York. And one of the low-key signings that I think went on the radar was they signed Tyrod Taylor to be Daniel Jones' backup. I mean, Daniel Jones might not look like, uh, you know, your perfect idea of this dual-threat quarterback, but that's what he is, man. His legs are the best part of his game. And Dable, seeing what he was able to do, again, I uh, mentioned this earlier, but like Josh Allen, before he was really good in real life, he was still really good in fantasy there's a chance that daniel jones if he can stay healthy is going to have the sort of rush attempts to just be a good fantasy bad real life quarterback and when you start looking at that offense man saquon's adp is finally getting up there but Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, like these are some of the cheapest wide receivers in fantasy and th- that have a legit chance to lead their entire offense and targets right there alongside the New England Patriots. So something to keep there in mind in New York. Uh, with the Vikings, Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator, coming over uh, to be their head coach. And, oh, my gosh, Justin Jefferson and the Cooper Cup role. Shut up, everyone. Justin Jefferson has had probably the best two-year stretch to start a career in NFL history. Like, who cares about a couple more snaps in the slot? He's going to be fine. Now, what is interesting is the Vikings going from one of the lowest teams that use 11 personnel to probably one of the highest that the Rams were. So that means K.J. Osborne, someone that's actually going to be on the field enough now to maybe give us not huge production, but I would say why not? Can you explain that for new listeners, 11 personnel? Again, you yeah, know, you're, this is the advanced stuff not everyone knows, yeah. You're good. Yeah, three wide receivers. So before the Vikings, really a ton of two tight end sets. Uh, but now coming again, what Sean McVay has done in Los Angeles is just uh, use 11 personnel, make everything look the same a lot of times. And that's why we've seen them enable, you know, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, even Sammy Watkins had eight touchdowns in a year there. So um, hopefully in Minnesota should be m- more pass first and Adam Thielen, in addition to K.J. Osborne, should be on the field all the time. Plus, Tyler Higby, someone that never left the field for the Rams, is now that his role in Minnesota goes to Irv Smith, who doesn't have to deal with Tyler Conklin, doesn't have to deal with Kyle Rudolph. The only other tight end they brought in this offseason was Johnny Munt, who is a block-first player who played with O'Connell in Los Angeles, literally the most ideal second tight end we could add uh, to this team in order to not worry about Irv Smith's routes. So really think Irv Smith and K.J. Osborne are low-key winners from that. Uh, Miami, as everyone knows, 
probably remembered at some point, Mike McDaniel, the 49ers offensive coordinator in town. If he's going to run the whole offense through Waddle and Tyreek, you know, good things should happen. We'll say though, the 49ers have historically been a pretty slow paced offense under Shanahan and they've been pretty run first. So I'm just a little bit concerned about the overall volume in Miami with the Raiders. Josh McDaniels now doing his thing. As interested as we are in the Patriots running back room and who's going to be the pass down back, we don't seem to have the same allure uh, for the for the Raiders. And it could be Kenyon Drake, man. As I was doing this study, um, looking at guys who had the largest difference in their fantasy rankings from standard to PPR. And Drake was popping in it. And Drake is someone that's not even drafted a lot of times. So I'm not trying to make this the you need to draft Kenyon Drake uh, segment. But we do need to pay mind to who the pass catching running back is going to be in Vegas. As much as I believe Josh Jacobs can handle it. It's kind of like the Antonio Gibson thing where I just don't think he's going to get it. They brought in Brandon Bolden, Amir Abdullah, like every running back the Raiders kind of brought in and they restructured Drake. So they seem to be good enough with him, but every running back they brought in was a pass catching specialist. So you just got to kind of read between the lines there. And for them to go ahead and draft, uh, you know, spend a fourth round pick to get Samir White do think could be, you know, not, not so many good days ahead for Josh Jacobs with the Jaguars, Doug Peterson and press Taylor. Now uh, basically bringing that offense over to please for the love of God, save uh, Trevor Lawrence. But you know, James Robinson guys tore his freaking Achilles in late December. Don't, don't assume he's going to be back by week one, if even at all this season, man. So Travis Etienne is someone where we've heard these whispers like, oh, are they going to use him in the Debo Samuel role? Once again, screw that. He could be an every down running back in the Christian McCaffrey role. How about that? And that's really what we should be looking for out of Etienne. And even if James Robinson comes back, man, I think Etienne is still going to arguably have a sort of like DeAndre Swift-esque role on the table for him because of his pass down chops. Last two situations are actually pretty similar. So the Broncos brought in Nathaniel Hackett to be their head coach, the Green Bay offensive coordinators. The Bears' new offensive coordinator is Luke Getze, who was actually the QB coach with Hackett. Obviously, Matt LaFleur was the one calling everything. So when we have these Shanahan, McVay, and LaFleur coordinators, it's always kind of tough to tell, like, are they just going to run that guy's offense or are they going to now kind of unleash their own thing now that they're the man in charge? But I will keep in mind, because both these teams – have a trendy uh, late round tight end Cole Komet for the bears and Albert. Oh, I'm not going to try to pronounce your last yeah. name, bro uh, for the Broncos. So I would say though with the Packers, man, they really have leaned on uh, tight end committees each of these last two years. Uh, since the floor has been there, there hasn't been a tight end get even 60 targets in a season. I mean, Robert Tunyon, goes off for like 12 touchdowns, 11 touchdowns, wherever it was in 2020. Like he was struggling to play 50% of the offensive snaps before he got hurt in 2021. Like, yeah, he was, Still their lead, uh, Dolchich in the third round, who's a receiving friendly tight end. And they signed a block first guy in Eric Tomlinson. And the Bears, man, like they brought in James O'Shaughnessy and Ryan Griffin, who none of these guys I think are going to overtake Komet or Albert O as the leading receiver, but they don't need to, man. If you have two or even, God forbid, three tight ends in a regular rotation, usually you can't even get enough pass volume for one tight end to really stand out in fantasy land. So I lean towards guys like Irv Smith, like Tyler Higby, ahead of Albert O and Cole Komet. Even if you might think that, you know, those other tight ends are a little bit better, uh, I'm just way more confident in some of these other players' ability to be on the field the whole time. Man, that was really an excellent job. What a, that was so comprehensive and really excellent, excellent, excellent job. But you're making me worried because I've kind of been short the Giants' offense. You know, trading terms, I've been short the offense. I'm, I'm not 
Oh, gosh, it was such a disaster. Jones, I understand he could run. So I do, again, I think maybe that's part of the disparity in, in formats. And here we go, right into the next uh, topic as we kind of round, I was going to say round third. I guess we're in the red zone. Let's punch the ball in, right? <laughs> uh, now, I, I worried about that, and I think that's the obvious stuff. You mentioned something I really wanted to get to. It's the Green Bay Packers. So that sucking sound, for anybody, if you listen carefully enough, is <laughs> the target vacuum created by Devontae Adams leaving. I mean, as if as if someone were to pull like a like a like a plug out of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> like they're really uh, and it's funny, we we use the term target tree. I've actually expanded on it in my own analysis where it it's really works very well. I'll give you an example. The Miami Dolphins are a bonsai tree. It's very short, very right, branches everywhere. The Green Bay Packers were the sprawling redwood of California. A single, a single trunk, the thickest 3,000-year-old trunk reaching to the sky. But now that what grows in place of the redwood? Right? Now we're not talking about actual biology, right? But what this is like the question of questions for me at least, because I'm again, you know, an opportunity-based trader, just like you mentioned. The commodity in fantasy in general is opportunities. I want to maximize opportunities. The largest opportunity share that I can remember in a decade without researching, Devontae Adams. Now, granted, I know from my focus on pace stats, Green Bay not that attractive outside of Devontae, including Aaron Rodgers, because they're so slow-paced. It really – and again, you could – I know he's great, but that's where people mix, I think, real life and fantasy. I'm not really drafting a guy like Rodgers. I want more giddy-up. I want less defense. I almost want a worse team because I want more pressure on them at the end of the game. What happens in Green Bay? In theory, there's enough offense for at least two or three people. You have people saying, Lazard, 140 catches. And I'm like, maybe. I'm like, isn't Tanya? I felt like I also told people, wow, Tanya's a 550 and one guy, right? No, 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 no. Wait, what? Where are they going? What's going to happen there? So, Ian, talk to me about the Green Bay tree. What what comes from the what rises from the ashes there? I guess the if you look at their offense and you're like, all right, who are the best players out here? I think it's the running backs. I think it's Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, and that's why I've really tried to be ahead of consensus on AJ Dillon, especially because we've seen it. We saw last year with Dylan. We've seen it briefly with Aaron Jones, but Jamal Williams, who's a good running back in his own right, has always kind of made it a committee thing for Jones. But if one of these guys gets hurt, the other guy is going to have a full-fledged three-down workhorse role. It's probably going to make them a top-five weekly running back option. And you can't say that for some of these other guys that are being drafted in the same range as A.J. Dillon. I mean, Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson, uh, Cordero Patterson, Elijah Mitchell, Claude Edwards-Alaire, Miles Sanders. I don't think these guys – even they're like multiple injuries away from that happening. If it's even going to have a chance to, and Dylan, you could argue, especially 49ers. I think Tyrion Davis price is going to make this more of a committee than people realize. Um, as we know, with C Pat. I mean, they're going to have Algier. I guess he's a little bit lower, but Philly uses a committee. Washington uses a committee. Raiders use a committee. Cleveland uses a committee like AJ Dylan straight up could just have more uses than these guys. And again, his ceiling is Tony Pollard level, if not higher 
from a pure handcuff standpoint, if something does happen to Aaron Jones, the Aaron Jones uh, splits without Devontae Adams have been well publicized and for good reason. Yeah. They're, they're bonkers. I mean, they Aaron yeah. Rodgers is comfortable feeding the ball to Aaron Jones when he does not have Devontae Adams out there. So I will say that like Dylan can catch the ball too. Aaron Jones and AJ Dylan each had four games last year with 40 plus receiving yards. So I know Aaron Jones is much better, but there was a concern with Dylan coming out of Boston College because he only had like a, you know, eight or 15 catches or whatever. But, you know, we saw us with Jonathan Taylor a little bit too. Like, okay, I, I'm not confusing Dylan for someone like Aaron Jones or Austin Eckler. There is a high top tier of a, a receiving running back that I don't think Dylan or Taylor will ever get into or like Nick Chubb, but these guys can catch swing passes. These guys can catch screens. Like really like Ronald Jones is kind of like the only running back that it just seemingly can't even do that uh, sort of stuff sometimes. So love Dylan. He's my RB 22 right now, maybe even moving a little bit higher here soon. And uh, also Aaron Jones, my RB nine only like Aaron Jones, basically my number one running back. Uh, I guess Austin Eckler. Aaron Jones is like a little bit of a discount Austin Eckler, honestly, because if you just look at kind of the top 10 running backs, at least mine, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley, and Aaron Jones. Like those are the only Jones and Eckler are the only two running backs that don't have these like full fledged three down roles. And it's why I consider pushing down Eckler a little bit more, man. But the thing is in full PPR, just those historically, yeah, historically one target is worthy of about 2.7 rush attempts. Yep. Like it's just such a it's just such like a numbers game again when you're just dealing with someone like Eckler who can legit catch 80 plus passes in a single season. So Jones, Dylan, Tunyon's fine. He's going late enough. Keep it. It sounds like he has a pretty good chance to be suiting up uh, week one. Just remember, coming back from that ACL right. uh, could have some complications there. Uh, at wide receiver, Lazard. If he falls, I'm taking him, but it's just so tough to prioritize him in that wide receiver three range when, man, I know it's Rodgers, but I think the most likely outcome, Lazar should be out there all the time, but they have these uh, other pieces where it's going to be Sammy Watkins, I think Christian Watson probably rotating. I know it's Watkins. He did it with Rashad Bateman last year. Like He he just does this. He's a progress stopper, unfortunately, but (laughs) uh, as long as he's on the roster, I think they could rotate. And then they'll have Randall Cobb and Amari Rogers in the slot potentially rotating. Romeo Dobbs is out there as well. And hell, like if there is a team that could be adding uh, Julio Jones or Will Fuller still, Green Bay sure as hell looks like it. So uh, I will continue to draft Julio Jones round 17. Best balls of all shapes and sizes in the meantime. <laughs> yeah you know at first i kind of had a sourpuss on for the video people because again focusing on opportunities i think i overlooked green bay because of my perception of a split also my perception of dylan really being kind of awesome maybe not realizing that they could share more time and then if that's the case and that version of the offense makes them palatable, if they were to go down, like you said, if someone were to go down, the other one is like the benefactor and an auto, whatever, top seven RB overall. Like automatically, you know what I mean? There's no, really no yeah. argument, right? Green, um, so Real that, quick, uh, what, one, of my go, favorite, go, go. one of my favorite things with Dylan, because we were talking about how stats can get skewed and stuff uh, earlier, yeah. and one of the stats I think is yards after contact, because, you know, a guy can just break a tackle at the line of scrimmage and then run for a 70-yard touchdown. He gets 70 yards after contact, and it's right. like, well, like good job breaking the tackle, but I just think sometimes because of that, like, like Tony Pollard has a really high yards after contact, but, you know, we're not really seeing Pollard, like, drag piles all that much. So what I did, and with our cool PFF tools, I looked at just the number 
of carries that got at least two yards after contact. So what guys were like consistently oh. kind of dragging players a little bit. Number one in the NFL, 75.5% of his carries, at least two yards after contact, A.J. Dillon. And that adds up. Look at that freaking guy. We've all seen his thighs. Like, it makes sense to me that A.J. Dillon is tough as hell to get to the ground because that's what we see every time we put the film on. Uh, for the baseball people out there, Ian just did exactly what we do, right? When we talk about the difference between using contact stats and then using rate stats, because these things matter. Hat tip, Ian the Goat. Okay, you did mention one name. We're going to get out of here in a minute. And it's going to tie into the last theory, and then that's going to get us out the door. You mentioned Christian Watson. Pricing rookies is very difficult. I think you can succeed as a wideout. I also tend to draft my perception of opportunities. And in like, I'm talking about best ball right now, I should say. Yeah. To me, it's not redraft season yet. I think I like to wait for more pieces. If I'm going to put real money on redraft, I want to wait. I want to get closer. I don't, I actually, I don't want anyone to lose their first round pick if there's a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks on the line. That's not my style. Yeah. Best ball is what it's all about right now because I think it's a good way to see the puzzle, the changing pieces, and all that stuff. I like to draft kind of in pockets. And I'm trying to maximize roster space. So I have found, and I guess this is my fight me thing, although I tweeted it, nobody cared, which I kind of figured. I'm the I'm an I'm the no wide receiver guy. Now it's not Watson, but it is similar players in that elk. You and Dwayne were speaking about them before. There's an entire pocket of wideouts that are, I don't know, the number one, two, or three target on their team that are going really late the inverse of that right because everything in fantasy drafting is about opportunity cost which i don't really understand this is where the market and i are very disparate in our approaches i don't understand zero rb because i feel like the market is drafting almost consistency and totals best ball i'm trying to draft spikes so i feel like the spike running backs are all early because – or you're going to, what, fall behind you? You can't – I've seen these teams from super sharp people. I mean, that's what makes me – it's not me making me say, ha-ha, he's wrong. It's making me say I'm probably wrong. <laughs> but but what's getting me is you have entire rosters of backup running backs that theoretically could give you nothing for the first three or four weeks. I don't know how you plan on winning a large-scale tournament if you don't get out of the box fast. I believe you need high scores throughout. Somebody will. So I've just been more like, I don't know, everyone's kind of zigging, and I guess it's cheesy. I'm zagging. I don't know, man. I in like for example, in redraft, I'm I take the last quarterback. Whoever the last, whatever. I'll choose from the last guy, I'll figure it out. You spent money on Mahomes. If he stinks, you can't replace him. So not only do I get the advantage of selecting my own guy, I get the choice in the free agent pool if somebody kind of breaks out. In best ball, to me, it's like Josh Allen, who is potentially the number one player, if I had to put a favorite odd on who the number one player overall is going to be, he'd probably be in my top five or six off the top of my head, yet he's going in the third round, and he plays a position that people are using three roster spots to fill. But if you get Josh Allen, you could just take whatever, Mariota at the back end. Because remember, you have to kind of think in terms of success if you're going to win. This is my opinion, of course. I could be way off. When I worked at FTN, I had Elliot on. He's man sharp. And he had said... You, um, man, what was it? it was the Colts? Were, we don't plan for Peyton going down. That was the quote he said, and he's right. So when you draft the best ball, right, you don't plan for Allen going down. You draft Allen in the third. You expect he's going to play every week. You get one draft replacement. That's it. Yeah. Same thing for tight ends. You get one guy maybe in the middle. Running backs should be in the front. That leaves wide receivers in the middle and the back. 
So I've just been feasting on, like I said, it's not really Watson, but I, now like I see Sky Moore, who you guys were talking about, he's really fallen, or um, Olave on the Saints. Yeah. He has a potential to be the number one target overall on that team. And he's really kind of fallen. You know, we mentioned Lazard has a chance to be a number one target. You mentioned Dotson on Washington has a chance to be a number two target. Now, if I'm changing, you, you got Myers and Parker and New yeah, okay, yeah. I, I love. I've actually been talking about the Patriots stack is one of my favorites, and again, the hemming and hawing and eye rolls. And I'm like, wait, why? And I know the argument before it gets to me is New England's too conservative. Stop looking at the box score. That you could almost feel them remove the throttle. And I remember my notes were like, Mac Jones, too conservative. Mac Jones passing up, passing up deep throws for checkdowns to his own detriment. By the time we got to the end of the year, I was like, exciting move by Mac Jones. And that was the prevailing thread. So I actually think the Patriots are about to take a step forward in terms of pace. And guys like Parker and Bourne are both going to be pretty good as far as an opportunity standpoint. Why am I taking wide receivers up front, Ian, if my perception of spike is random? I, I'm such a – I so believe in variance that, like, even Devontae Adams, he's going to have games that he goes three for 17, but the what the running back that you swap him for is not. So talk to me about pockets. I know I threw a lot at you. Zero wide receiver and my perception of pockets of talent and opportunity – considering limited roster spots, right? Because that's the whole thing. We're talking best ball where I can't replace these guys. You're married to them. So I don't really want guys that are, need eight injuries. So I, I almost have all my running backs before the 12th or 13th round. You know, I have one quarterback, Josh Allen, namely up front. And my whole back is wide receivers like I named to you before. You know, I have a ton of Nico Collins and the like, yeah. I don't know. Like guys like I think. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Again, I don't think he's going to be great. But is he going to deliver two spike weeks? Maybe. So talk, talk to me about, about zero wide receiver and how stupid I just said it. <laughs> I, I think it's all – I think all strategies have a place in a draft where they probably are the optimal uh, strategy. The problem is, you know, the <laughs> it's like the zero RB thing became like a cult following. It was just weird. People were just doing it to do it uh, basically. So from that standpoint, like – no, I'm not just going to go into the draft with my strategy already made up kind of before uh, the pieces start falling. Cause you know, as someone, you know, that is, I think I've done probably like 50 best ball drafts here since um, the NFL draft concluded, you know, I'm scooping up values and I'm playing the news cycle where, you know, we got Traylon Burks right now falling down into round nine and round 10 because of like just these maybe asthma, maybe workout problems that Tennessee's known about. And that, you know, we wouldn't even care about if it wasn't just NFL media circus going crazy uh, throughout the month of June. So um, trying to play the, the news cycle, I think is a good way of, uh, you know, just, Again, getting good values if you're going to be doing a lot of these drafts. Personally, I, I've kind of been with you where I've regularly find myself getting at least two running backs, if not three, inside the first three or four rounds of these drafts because there are more workhorses, I think, than we're seeing. And that kind of has been the dying breed in the NFL. I think that's why wide receivers got boosted. I mean, you look at, I believe in the year 2000, there were 19 different running backs that had at least 300 touches. Like last year, it was four. And, you know, maybe maybe it will stay around four. Like, it has been a down-going trend. But when you start looking and you see guys, you know, Cam Akers going, like, RB18 to RB20, uh, it's a guy that could could have the Todd Gurley role. And, like, that sort of, you know, yeah, the concern about, oh, he sucked last year with his efficiency in the playoffs and maybe Henderson makes a committee. Like, I like Henderson where he's going, too. But, like, that's 
that sort of stuff's already being baked into their uh, reduced ADP. James Conner should be the three down running back in Arizona, but it's just yep. one of these things like, oh, he'll probably get hurt. It's like, well, they paid him, <laughs> right, right, right. If they paid him $20 million, like if he doesn't get hurt, he's going to be on the field all the damn time, catching a lot of passes too. Like Kyler Murray, one career QB sneak. Like that's, it's always going to be James Conner around the goal line, uh, the way they do things there in Arizona. So yeah, I, I, I do think uh, I'm more, and the, and the big thing too, specifically, I'm cool getting one of one or multiple of like the top 12 wide receivers, but you start seeing red flags really fast. And uh, one thing you brought up earlier, which I thought was sharp was the uh, college teammates already having reps with those quarterbacks. Like I believe right now, if you just look at a, a typical ADP for the wide receiver position, it's only about 10 or 11 wide receivers in the top 24 that are playing with the same quarterback as they did from last season. Now, obviously Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, we are happy that Russell Wilson uh, is there, right. but, Man, like to just look at Pittsburgh and be like, you know, oh, going to Mitch Trubisky and a first round rookie is for sure going to be an upgrade. Like I know Ben sucked, but maybe they suck too, man. So it's, we really just, when there is a new quarterback coming into town, we need to really think hard on that the same way we do when there's a new play caller um, or something like that. So with wide receivers, once you get past, I'd put like my top 12 is Cup, Jefferson, Chase, Diggs, CD, Evans, Adams, Hill, Higgins, Debo, Keenan, and Mike Williams. I think we can probably give AJ Brown the benefit of the doubt because he's just that freaking good. But once you get past that, man, like, yeah, I have certain guys I have more confidence in, Michael Pittman, Terry McLaurin and stuff. But there is at least one red flag for like the next 15 on wide receivers like Gabriel Davis, Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks. So yeah. Give me the workhorse running back. I'll take whatever wide receiver two slides down because these tiers of wide receivers, I feel like are super deep. You see it again, kind of in the wide receiver four, wide receiver five range where it's like, you know, Alan Lazar versus Marquez Baldus Scantling. I'm not going to reach on those guys, but if they start falling, fine enough. And if they don't start falling and instead Brand Nyack or Kadarius Tony does like, okay, yeah. there's so many good wide receivers and there's not so many workhorse running backs. So Give me the more scarce running backs. Like, dude, we're playing for first. If we, if, like Ricky Bobby said, first or last, man, like, who gives a shit about trying to build um, the highest floor? Let's go ahead, shoot for the moon. Um, and I think to your other point, like, give me more, uh, give, give me more shots at the wide receiver range uh, throughout the entire draft. Cause that's the other good thing. When you take these running backs early, you know, you're done with it. You only need to draft four or five of them at that point. Just the same way where if you take Josh Allen, you certainly don't need three or four quarterbacks. Man, now again, that was awesome. And this is the very last thing. I guess if we, uh, you know, we could circle back another time to do all the betting stuff. I wanted to be a little selfish, but also thankful and mention the thing I'm working on at The Athletic right now that I had to reach out to you about was uh, I'm developing a triple slash, again, this baseball kind of bleed over. But I do think shorthand descriptors can be really important, especially when we're talking about usage. So, I give you an idea of what I'm up to, Ian. I'm gonna give you a list because it's gonna apply to a conversation you had with Dwayne about the Denver wideouts, and then we're gonna get out of here. Yeah. So my triple slash is target percentage, air percentage, and a dot something that PFF, the incomparable PFF, is responsible for. The idea being, right? I'm trying as quickly as possible to describe a wide receiver role as best as possible. We're using input statistics. Again, this comes from my baseball stuff. I don't care about earn-run average. I don't want to know. I almost don't care. But like you said, 
uh, receiving yards to me is a dirty stat. Garbage in, garbage out, everybody. To me, it's a garbage stat. Now, granted, yes, a guy like Debo could run over a dump truck. We understand that. But to Ian's point before, if you juke, right, if a counter is run to a back-end screen, to a one-on-one defensive scenario where a running back defeats a corner for whatever reason, you can't give the guy 80 yards of credit for that. Now, granted, if we marked this stat and it had a ceiling, right? So let's say yards after catch had a 10-yard ceiling. That I would use. That would be more along the lines of what Ian was, was talking about. So, again, target percentage, air percentage, A dot. Total of frequency, total of volume, and then depth, just to give you an idea, because – that really is it really is important. Check it out. Bench, uh, let's call it gold standard elite. So John's elite triple slash. Target air and a dot would be 20, 25, and 10 and a half. Right? Yeah. Only 25 wideouts achieved this last year. Only 25. And it's, it's a hell of a list probably everybody would expect. AJB, Allen Robinson, Antonio Brown, Brandon Cooks, Calvin Ridley. Stop me when somebody stinks. CD <laughs> Lamb, DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney. That's a very that's an interesting name maybe not everyone knows, right? Oh, not that they don't know, but they're onto it like that. DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Parker. Two sharp guys just mentioned him. <laughs> Devontae Smith, DK Metcalf, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, uh-oh, separating themselves again from the pack statistically beyond the anecdotal understanding that they're top targets, safety right. blankets. Like, yeah, that and 325 get you on the bus, whatever costs you. But continuing on, Mike Williams, a little bit of hope in, in L.A. I was a little let down, but the input stats are there. Stephon Diggs, T. Higgins, McLaurin, Tyler Lockett, Tyreek Hill, and one Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy on that list with the cream of the crop with the crappiest quarterback scenario imaginable. So because I opened my big mouth, now I'm going to be backing Jerry Judy in a big way, hoping that adding Muscle Wilson there kind of takes them to the next level. I think, though, because of his price – whether it's Sutton or Judy, like you have to get Patrick. I feel like that's an absolute oh, must. Yeah. So I think you made an excellent point. Anybody that missed it, you should be listening to all Ian and Dwayne stuff mm-hmm. regardless. It really is the best. But you guys were going through this and how what I really enjoyed the most was the back and forth of you're like, yeah, I get it. But he outproduced him, right? And Dwayne's like, yeah, but, you know, and I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm mm-hmm. Dwayne. And I'm like, but statistics and inverted. But if we reverse the Ian, if we reverse the polarity and just get it to <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts, you know, Jerry Judy is going to make 180 catches. And you're like, yes. But Tim Patrick on, on earth, right? Patrick is actually making catches yes. and doing his thing. My thing is this. Where's the girl? Well, how about, why not both? What's three? What's both for three? Why not all? Died Jeff. Russell could probably carry those. Remember, he was in a pretty limited scenario himself as far as skill positions go. I mean, yeah, he. I mean, I think he made Lockett more than he should have been. And I think Metcalf is a superstar. But I think maybe Russell might be able to feed all three of these guys. And if you grab two, similar to your point about Green Bay, you get two guys that could be viable now with the pathway to really succeed. What do you think about that? That I swing on Jerry Judy greater than Simon Patrick? No, did not. I yes. just yes. Nah. <laughs> the whole thing with Judy, we're like, yeah, he'll, like I've seen the comparison with him and uh, 
Gabriel Davis. It's like the same amount of targets and the yards aren't that far off. And it's like, oh, look, Gabriel Davis just scoring touchdowns because he has Josh Allen and Judy doesn't. And it's like, okay, then why is Tim Patrick scoring touchdowns? Like, what, what's going on here? Because Tim Patrick and Tim Patrick was better than Cortland Sutton last year, too. And uh, it's these first round receivers, man. And J- Judy, for him to come back after the ankle injury, had him week one to begin with, uh, you know, just fair play to him for making that happen. And I've seen the wide receiver cornerback ISO camps. The guy is obviously a fantastic route runner, but man, when we see another receiver in the same offense putting up these big numbers, like that's when I just have a hard time completely uh, giving Judy the benefit of the doubt. And if you're going to use a legit top 24 pick on the guy, I just haven't gotten too much Jerry Judy. I haven't ranked inside my top 30 receivers. So I'm not, you know, the world's biggest hater, but we need to realize too, this is not the Broncos team, the coaching staff or the, uh, front office that used a first round pick on Jerry Judy. That was John Elway a couple years ago, and he is no longer involved in this. Now it's George Patton, George Patton. The two moves that he made a wide receiver were extending Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick at the end of last season. So both of them, obviously Sutton got the bigger deal, but both of them are now locked into Denver for the foreseeable future. And again, that was George Patton's job. So KJ Hamler um, coming back from the hip, dislocated hip is like one of the worst injuries you can have in addition yeah. to the knee. Apparently his progress is going well, but a pup list is certainly, you know, a possibility there. So if not though, man, I think Hamler probably, if he's going to be taking someone off the field, I think it's probably going to be Judy in the slot. You look at green Bay, I believe they ranked 21st in uh, 11 personnel, three plus wide receivers um, just overall uh, under Nathaniel Hackett and Matt LaFleur. So there's a chance that we see more Albert O and Greg Dulcich, more two tight end sets. Like there is a chance that we look up at the snap rates at the end of week one and Sutton and Patrick are 90% plus Jerry Judy's closer to 60, 70, just because of the way they might run their offense. Um, and yeah, man. So I, I just think there are a few more holes in Judy's uh, like I'm, I'm Sutton over Judy. And then at that point when Tim Patrick's going outside the top 50 wide receivers, like it's just not even close to me. So I just think, uh at some point like what does it take for us to appreciate tim patrick again on like on the same amount like what wh- why is he putting up more yards and touchdowns than these guys if he's not the better wide receiver like with the, the amount of hoops we have to kind of jump through to put down tim patrick or some of these other guys uh it's just bonkers to me sometimes man so you can like jerry judy and stuff but my god like tim patrick pretty damn good as well come on yeah you know what it is really and it, it, you're really it, you're dead on you're dead on, right? You're only taking flack for me because you're over the target, really. <laughs> and, but the, I think, especially because right now, again, I'm very focused on this kind of best ball type of thinking. I think there's a like a, a spot for a Denver stack. But outside of that, I think I really have to agree after hearing it out. It's kind of hard to get with Judy at price in a vacuum, right? So I th- right, you probably agree. If you're targeting Denver, I think he's probably a key piece of that, right? So if you think Denver is going to be a low own stack or I don't know, you have another kind of correlative to it or something. I I believe Judy is a good part of a be- overall best ball tournament because yeah, he could go to the moon. And I like to think in terms of secondary pieces, Patrick really going far enough back that you can push him up. You mentioned this the other day, gosh, you know, I, re- I just really love your style because you're, it's just very, well, no, dude, you're very, you're very, very, very transparent and upfront and willing to kind of eat lowercase L's and, you just you you said something with ease that a lot of people really struggle with, and it's all right. If I'm connecting pieces, part of my calculus is, and it wasn't these players in particular, but it's the same handcuffs, whatever it is. You have Judy, you know you want Patrick. 
Don't be too cute. Get him. Move him up the round. Get him. Because without him, that whole formula really could fall apart fast. Right. And that's what I think. I, I love you often talk about that. These it's this connection. I mean, I forget you put it really eloquently. You really did about it wasn't like a butterfly effect thing, but it's it's that. It's yeah, if people ask me pick A or pick B, it's not that the same way I hit you with the wide zero wide receivers, dude. It's not that. The only thing that probably is wrong is like you said to go in predetermined. Now you can tell yourself this is what I'd like to do, but if the room doesn't allow you to execute, you really should be pivoting and know better. So again, to to you and your just willingness to be so open with us, the listener, and but uh, in your own process, and I think it's really important. Again, you're just like. What's beyond modest? You're you're probably beyond modest, but I think I think that's really part of your, you know, what makes you so effective in your work, right? Because it's funny you would think the most effective work is the person. This is this and this, is, and you're not. You're very much like we're gonna just let's everyone relax. Let's just kind of put it down, <laughs> and the, the the outcomes are gonna happen. I, I often say in baseball, right? I don't throw the ball. I don't swing the bat. So I can only apologize to you so much. And I don't know if you do this amount of work that you do the same way I do part of it is because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to get yelled at for missing and losing. I showed you everything I got. I pulled the curtain. Here's pages and pages and pages of notes and math equations. And that's what I got. We do the best we do. And we kind of let it fall from there. God damn Ian. If, uh, Oh man, if something ever happens to Dwayne, you know, if he were to be <laughs> struck by a bolt of lightning, Hey, now, hey, 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 knock on some. I might blame some of the podcasters in this room. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding, man. Everybody, Ian Hart, it's the goat of all goats. PFF 40. You got to get with Ian. If you're not with Ian and the boys with PFF, you will be left behind, right? Because they're doing things differently. I have found football statistics are very limited, and in their limitations, they're not very useful. So if you're not with the guy on my this way, whatever we're doing with reverse <laughs> inverted cameras, Ian, whatever. We're best friends for life. I hope it now. At least I'm telling people that from now on. You know, I'm about to text everyone I know that me and Ian are best friends now. No, <laughs> man, what do you got to close us out? That's a bit. Once I start rambling, we're off the rails. It's over, man. PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, PFF.com. All good things. But yeah, man, I'm about to uh, watch some freaking fights. We got Yair Rodriguez cool. and Brian Ortega about to scrap in the UFC here a little bit later. I love that shit, man. I, I don't hate baseball. I, uh, I, I hold a grudge against it because once kids started throwing curveballs, I wasn't any good anymore. But uh, <laughs> back in the day, I mean, it was uh, it, it was uh, you know right there at football uh, w- with me in terms of playing. I still try to watch my uh, call them the Cleveland Guardians these days. So I still try to I, I still enjoy uh, I still enjoy a, a good night good day out at the park. But otherwise, man, just uh, give me. Give me two human beings fighting. I think that's, oh, uh, so that's good. My, that's my favorite sport other than football. For sure. You know what's funny, man? I, I somehow got away from it. And this is the God's honest truth. Like I could even describe some of it. I had the VHS tapes, the David versus oh, Goliath. The I had David. I had when it was illegal, oh. I had all that stuff. I was really into it. We were following Dan Severn and the Gracie tribe. Like you oh. can't, you don't just how about this? I remember Hoist Gracie, he had to punch Kino, Kimo in the balls like a hundred times. Remember that dude? That dude came out with the giant, he came out with the giant crucifix. Yeah, like dude. a maniac. He came out with a life-size crucifix. Hoist Gracie, who had won like 300 fights in a row, looked like he was about to shite his gi. And he had to cheat 
He had to cheat to win that one. That was when they didn't have rules. That was, you know, that was before rounds and rules and stuff. So I go all the way far back and I just kind of, I don't know, I lost it, but gosh, I really do love it. All right, that's it. We're talking about golf and baseball and UFC, the football pods. Over. All right, everybody, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to the football pod here. Press the cartoon thumb. Give me all of your animated fingers, you know, because that's how we rate human beings now. You know, no one's like, hey, John's really smart. It's in, in you know, he's nuanced. How many, how many likes did he get? How many, how many likes? That's how we grade people now on these stupid analytical metrics to please the algorithmic gods. So please just press like. We want to get this pilot off the floor. I think there's a lot of potential here bringing in people like Ian. I spoke to, man, goat after goat. I got Chris Meany, Lawrence Jackson, just some of the badasses. You know, all the people that I really like, all the people that I really like and I think have something to offer. So that'll do it. Look for us here, NFL Cork Stats Live once a week. I'll be back after the All-Star break. The big dude with the big mouth from the Big Apple screaming at his computer with baseball stuff. So from Ian Harditz and all the people at PFF and the Gosh darn goats of football and everyone at Mayo Media Net and big the big dude, man. We appreciate you all. Enjoy your time. And we'll catch you soon. Remember, when you work this hard, it feels a lot less like luck, yo. Peace.